Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is our start of the study in 1 Corinthians. And uh, so we will be sharing in the first three verses this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we open the Word. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to share in Your Word this morning. And again, we ask that You open our minds and our hearts to receive from You. Give us insight, each of us, Lord, where we are in our walk with You that will strengthen us and draw us close together and close to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Corinth is an amazing city. Uh, in ancient history especially. Its location uh, caused it to be a, uh, a city of wealth and commerce. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> the children are dismissed. That, but it's a, it was a, on a trade route of just about every way you could think of. It's on an isthmus and, and uh, between you know at the edge of, of Greece and, and so as a result it connects two oceans. It has land routes coming through it as well, and so it was a major major trade center. And as a major trade center, uh, it had like I said extreme wealth in its area, and uh, the trade and commerce was was just. Uh, from what I can read and gather from the historical accounts that I was able to read, uh, it was an amazing city. They also had a, to them, what was what was considered a prize building, if you will, a prize temple, and it was the Temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love. This temple supported itself through prostitution. It had over a thousand temple prostitutes who would go down into the city and, well, I'll leave it at that. And, and so this has contributed to a, a sense of what we would look at as immorality today and actually so much so that even in surrounding areas it was considered immorality. Uh, it was anything goes in Corinth. And so that was its reputation. It was known throughout the Mediterranean as the city of immorality. Paul is writing to this city. Can you imagine being a church in an environment like that? Well, the answer should be yes. Uh, I had a uh, one account uh, that I was uh, reading through uh, one commentary 
let me take you to First Californians. You know, and, and he was talking about uh, the metropolitan area of the Bay Area, and he happened to be a pastor in that area, and I, he, he understood what he was talking about. And uh, it's one of those things that you just you, you realize that, that a church that has that has an influence that comes into the church, and you have to constantly be aware and constantly think about making sure that the church is not moving in a direction of liberality, if you will, and and moving away from the Word of God. Uh, I've shared with you before, I've had pastors that I have known um, of, of churches that wear, and I, you notice how I'm putting this, wear the name of Christ, uh, tell me that, uh, what was resurrected, it wasn't a bodily resurrection, it was the resurrection of Christ's teachings. And their understanding of some of the things in reference to that are quite different than what we would interpret. And it becomes a very liberal process, and what happens is that the church slides away from the holiness of who Christ is, and the holiness of God's Word. So, Paul is addressing Corinthians in such a way, he's been informed of things that are going on there, and that's exactly what has happened in the church in Corinth. It's gotten, it's, it's slipped back, I am assuming, if you could use those terms, and has allowed some of the world's influence to be acceptable within the framework of their congregation. Paul's not calling them lost. He's not saying that they're anathema. He's not saying they're condemned. What he's telling them is that they're off course, and he wants to get them back on course. So Paul starts out this letter in this, in this introduction, if you will. Paul, called by the will of God to an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sithosthenes. Sithosthenes was a, co- a, a, a fellow traveler and worker with, with Paul. And so he's just addressing it. He says, this is from me and Sithosthenes. And, and it wasn't that he was doing anything or a part of the letter. It was just that he was acknowledging that he was there with him. And so Paul, it says he was called. And we have to start right there. Called, it is used in two ways depending on its context. And, and one would be to say that he is, you know, Paul is invited. Okay, that's a rather general term. But when it's used in the context of a, a framework of a relationship with God, it's divinely selected. In other words, God has opened the door. God has called him. And if you think about Paul's experience, Acts chapter 9 explains it in detail. If you want to read about it, go there. But Paul is on the road to Damascus with the intent to disrupt and destroy, if possible, the church, the body of Christ. He was responsible for many of them in the Jerusalem area and Judea of being arrested and, 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 and beaten and all sorts of things. And now he's on his way to Damascus to disrupt it there. And on his way, you heard he had the road to Damascus experience. <laughs> and I'm not going to go into all the details, but he came face to face with Christ. And Christ called him through this experience and some other things that happened immediately afterwards. Christ called him. 
It, it, a, divinely, a divine selection, a divine call, if you will. And it says, by the will of God. In other words, this was God's plan. Paul is going to be foundational in the church. And the interesting thing is, is that Paul ended up as an apostle to the Gentiles, of all things. Paul was an uh, exemplary Jew. He kept the law. He, he did all the things according to the law. And, and now he is sent to the Gentiles. Hebrew people would cross the street to get out of the way of a Gentile coming down the, 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 the side of the street. And, and Paul probably did that more than once himself. And so, here we have Paul being called ultimately to the Gentile church. And so the Corinthian church is a primarily Gentile church. So, Paul divinely selected by God, the will of God, to be an apostle. And he, and he says he's writing to the church of God in Corinth. And in this way of looking at it, and, and I think sometimes we still tend to think about it, uh, it's not uncommon for us to say, oh, we're going to church. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I say it myself. You know, we're going to church. Okay. But church really is not a building. Church can happen anywhere where two or more are gathered together to, to pray and to worship and to, to enter into the Word of God. Church can happen. Because church is actually us. It's the body of Christ. Any grouping of people together who worship Christ is part of the church. In fact, he even makes it clear there where he says, you know, later on, it's, it's everywhere he's talking about. So, we, and we've been going through this with the Apostles' Creed, talking about the word Catholic in it. Well, the word Catholic came into the Apostle Creed before the Catholic Church existed. Catholic simply means universal. And, and so, the, the, the entire body of Christ, the universal body of Christ is the, the church. So when it says the church of God, he says, uh, it, you know, I, I just emphasize, not a building, but those gathered together. And he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. I look at the word sanctified, and it, what it means is to be dedicated or consecrated to God. Set apart for God. And he's saying, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. If God were to look at any of us, which as we stand now and say today's the day of judgment, if we were to be judged on what, where we stand as far as our overall holiness, do you think He would find some blemishes? <laughs> we all laughed. You know, naturally he would. We'd say, well, we're not perfect. We're only human. Well, don't let that become an excuse. But the idea is, is that we are far from what this term sanctified really means. But he qualified it. He said sanctified in Christ Jesus. Okay, the way we are sanctified is that God looks at us through Jesus. 
through the sacrifice of the cross. That's how we became sanctified. The blood of Christ spilled on the cross. His body dead on the cross. He died, went into the grave, and, and, and defeated, literally it says, he defeated Satan. Uh, and, and, and he rose on the third day as proof. And so, we are sanctified in Christ. God looks at us through what Christ has done for us. And so, as we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we immediately become sanctified. Now, there's also a process of sanctification going on. So, I think of some words out of a sermon that BJ shared a while back, already and not yet. <laughs> we're already there as far as how God looks at us and sees us, but we're in the process of. And hopefully, every one of us can take a step back, examine our lives and say, compared to where I was last year, last decade, at the beginning of my walk, I'm not the same person. That's the process of sanctification. We are sanctified. As a result, we are also called saints. Uh, you, you look at that. He says, Christ Jesus called to, to be uh, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Again, the word saint is kind of intimidating. Uh, I grew up with uh, the influence of a, of a Catholic church. And, uh, the, the, you know, the saints were the people on the wall, the pictures on the wall around the, 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 the uh, oh, it was not the church uh, sanctuary, but the, the fellowship room. You know, they had the pictures of the saints. And, and there was, you know, Saint Augustine or Saint, you know, whatever. And, and these were the special people who were uniquely faithful to God, either in martyrdom or in professing the Word of God in starting churches, uh, being involved in churches, the different things that they did to, to cause the Word of God to, to grow and to go out. And so, I, I, you start to use the word saint and that is in the back of my head every time I read it. And it probably always will be. But the reality of what a saint is, is again the same per- A saint is a person being sanctified. As soon as we confess Jesus Christ, we are saints. Are we perfect? No. But we are dedicated, consecrated set aside for God at that point and from that point on. And so, we are saints. We are called to be holy as He is holy and we're in the process of that happening. There will be a day and a point in time in, in, in uh, history where the resurrection of the church and, and, and the, the, the coming of Christ and, and we will become what those words mean completely. But we're in the process of right now. But God looks at us and sees it as if it's completed. How blessed we are if you think about that. It has nothing to do with how hard we work for it. It has everything to do with Christ's gift, His work on the cross. There's nothing that we can bring to the table that increases the, 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 the sanctification process in us. And, and we, you know, it's God working in us. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. 
And yes, it's our willingness to be it. But the bottom line is, is it's God's gift to us. It's His mercy. It's His grace. We'll look at that in a little bit. He says, and it's not just in, in Corinth, because he says, saints together with all those who are in every place and call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both the Lord and our, both their Lord and ours. In other words, everywhere that they call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know, that's the church. We're all part of the same thing. We're all together. And so he's basically saying, my word is going out to you. And, and to all the church. So this isn't just to the Corinthians. He's hoping that it will go well beyond that. In fact, it's to us today. Think about that. Paul is literally writing, and God has used it in such a way that it is for every generation. And by the way, it was funny, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and he says, man, it's beginning to look like end times. And we talked for a little while, and then I said, well, it is end times. And he says, amen, pastor, amen. You know? And I said, no, it's end times. I'm, 70, I'm going to be 73 this year. I don't have a lot longer. It's end times. By the way, it's end times for every one of you, too. You don't have a second life. You know, it's, it's end times for this generation and the generations that are with us. It's end times. It's always end times. That's what Paul has been trying to say along the way. And it's what Jesus basically said. No one knows when the actual end is going to come, but live as if it is tomorrow or today. And so, this idea of, 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 you know, every place, the church universal uh, everywhere, everyone who calls on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in every place, And then we get to his actual greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. Merciful kindness of God. Seen in the sacrifice of Christ. That was one person's definition of explaining grace. Merciful kindness of God seen in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And he says, grace to you. Who's he speaking to? The church. The saints. The sanctified. Grace to you. In other words, the merciful kindness of God be, be over you. Grace and peace. The peace that he's talking about here is not a world without war. This is, and, and, and this is the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's not just, it's, 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 it's I, I wrote down here, it's the peace of Christ in us. And the way we have that is through salvation. There is no other way to have it. And the peace is to know that we have eternal life. Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain. He talks in other places, he writes in another place where he says, uh, when, we, when death occurs, uh, what is mortal is swallowed up by life. That's to all the saints, to all the, the sanctified, to the church, that, that those words mean. And what it is, is to put us at peace. 
no matter what happens in this life. The worst thing that somebody can do we normally think of is take away our, our, our breath, to take away our existence in a sense, to take away our life. And Paul says, take away my life. I win. I, I, I gain. What is mortal has been swallowed up by life. And so, this picture of grace and peace is merciful kindness of God brought through the cross of Jesus Christ and it's represented in the peace He gives us, knowing that we are saved. But the, as I got into this, it made me think of what Peter wrote in reference to the body of Christ. And I'd like to turn to chapter 2 of First Peter. Chapter 2 of First Peter, verse 9. He writes, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, referring to Christ, referring to God, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who calls you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not, had, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First, you know, this picture, he says, you're a chosen race. This idea of being a chosen race is that we are a called people. We are God's possession. Uh, let me quickly just read this to you from Ephesians uh, chapter 1. even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished. Upon us. I love that phrase. Lavished means to pour out abundantly more than is needed. In all wisdom and insight, making known to, uh, to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. We are a chosen race. A called people. We are the possession of God. And He put this into plan it was written in His symphony, if you will, before the foundation of the world. I look at all of what God has done that we have record of as a symphony of God conducting. And before it ever started, He wrote it out completely. And, and He's now in the process of conducting it. And He says, okay, flutes, now, okay, uh, trombones, cornets, uh, whatever, you know. And, and it's your turn to play. And, and, he causes it to flow exactly according to plan so that at the, just the right time, it says in Galatians, just at the right time, Christ came. Not a day early, not a day late, not a minute early, not a minute late. At just the right time. And that's God in control. He is sovereign. That's what we wanted to see through the last uh, round of sermons is the sovereignty of God as, as Daniel saw it. 
that God is sovereign in all things. We are God's possession, it says. We belong to Him. We are bought with the blood of Christ. He purchased us with the blood of Christ. And He calls us a royal priesthood. And royal means we are in the family of God. We are considered part of the kingdom of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We are, he says, I, am, I call you brothers and sisters. He, he's, we are in the royal family of God. Everyone who has confessed is sanctified is a saint and in the royal family of God. Already and yet coming in fulfillment. And as a royal priesthood, we are to serve God. We are to proclaim His Word. And, and the idea of proclaiming His Word is to be ready in and out of season at any time. First uh, Peter 3.15 talks about being ready to give your testimony. Somebody says, why are you so different? I'm paraphrasing. Why are you so different? You get an opportunity to say, Jesus Christ in my life. And you, and you get to share the Lord. We are in the... We are royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. By the way, what that's telling us is we're no longer a part of, of the nation of the United States in the sense of ownership. It, 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 we, we belong to God first. We are a holy nation. Our home, our residency, our citizenship, uh, other places in Scripture say that as well, is in heaven is with Christ the Lord. It has been purchased through the cross. We are members of the kingdom of God already. It's not just something that's going to happen. It has started. It is already in place. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. And we have a purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of God. The excellencies of God. Think about what that would mean. What are the great things of God? We're a small group today, really quick. We've got a couple of minutes. What are the great things of God? The excellencies of God. His love. Okay, His grace and salvation, obviously. Creation. Okay, there... It, Romans talks about we see God in the creation. It speaks to Him. It speaks of Him. And we've got science coming all along, all the time coming up with new things and, and their theories. And, and the majority of those theories get lost by the wayside because they, they couldn't really last the test of time. But God's Word has lasted the test of time because it is what put it, He, he put it together. Creation speaks to him, speaks of him. Uh, he's the sustainer. There's scripture that talks about our very breath comes from the existence of God. He, he provides our very, every breath we take is a gift from God. He's creator, sustainer, provider. And number one thing he provides for us that we have is his mercy and his grace.
He called us out of darkness into light. He called us out of darkness into light. Jesus says, you know, and John says in, in chapter one, Jesus is the light, and the light came into the world, and and you know, He is where we rest in His light. And His light is a witness of His grace and His mercy for us. Again, once you were not a people, but now you are. Once you received mercy, did not have mercy, but now you have it. It's not what we deserve. By the way, the grace, the mercy, the word is implies by its very nature. We're receiving something we do not deserve that we cannot earn. It's been given us through His mercy, His grace. We sinned. I, I was thinking uh, of something that was said at, uh, just again this last week that I, uh, somebody said, I deserve better than this. <laughs> and I thought of Arlene Scriber. And the, because uh, she would have, if she'd heard that, she'd, she wouldn't have been able to help herself at least shake her head like this. Because, you know, we don't deserve Anything. Why? Because we have sinned. What we deserve is death. In fact, we immediately deserved judgment and death. But God, through His grace, gave us time to do what? To come to Him. And as a result, be sanctified. Becoming saints of God. Paul wrote very clearly, if we confess with our mouth, this is chapter 10 of Romans, if I confess with my mouth and, and believe in my heart that Jesus is the Christ and, and raised from the dead, that I will be saved. That's how we enter into sainthood. That's how we become in the process of entering into sanctification. We begin it by this confession of faith. If you know, you know, as I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God, that He was raised from the dead and uh, is coming again, and, and I will be saved. Before we sing Thy mercy, my God, for communion, I want to just quickly read just a few verses from Psalm 22. It's one of the most powerful predictions of Christ on the cross. It starts with, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Sound familiar? Words from Christ on the cross. My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Why are You so far from saving Me from the words of My groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. This was him paying our sins. He was on the cross for us. How he perceived what was viewed of him as he saw the people saw him from the cross. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He. <clears throat> He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him, they say. 
Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. That was what was from the cross. And Jesus gave up His last breath and He said the words, It is finished. Everything needed to save us had been And he was looking at that point in time and everything that would follow. It is basically finished. In other words, it's a done deal. There's a, the song, Thy mercy, my God. Uh, my, Thy mercy, my God. And, and we're going to sing that. And the fourth verse it reads, Great Father of mercies, Thy goodness I own and the covenant love of the crucified Son. All praise to the Spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. All praise to the Spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. Speaks of that mercy, the grace of God that covers us. Uh, I'd like uh, Sarah to come and we'll sing this song together and then we'll share communion. While she's coming, I'll explain we have uh, the way we've been doing communion all along. We have the cups on this side with the bread and the juice. Uh, together and two cups and on that side are the packets and whichever you prefer and I'd ask that you would come and pick them up while we're singing this song. Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song. The joy of my heart and the, the boast of my tongue, thy free grace alone from the first to the last, has won my affection and bound my full fast. Without thy sweet mercy, I could not live here. Sin would reduce me to utter despair, but through Thy free goodness my spirits revive, and He that first made me still keeps me alive. Thy mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wanders to feel its own hardness depart. Tis all by thy goodness I fall to the ground, and we for the praise of the mercy I found. And we for the praise of the mercy I found. Great 
Father of mercies, thy goodness I own, and the covenant love of thy crucified Son. All praise to the Spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. All praise to the Spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. picture I shared with you from Psalm 22, again is that picture, Christ completely and totally paid for our sins. And what amazes me a thousand years before it happened, the words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in the very clear picture, they have pierced my hands and feet. That wasn't a, a punishment from God. Uh, from Man to man, the cross wasn't even anything done at that time that this was written. It was the prophetic picture that God had put in place before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would die for our sins. Resurrected. Proof that He has the authority and the power over sin and over death. Death, where is that sting? Is a powerful, powerful thought. He came in the flesh and... and that's the beginning of the idea of the bread. He came in the flesh. He went to the cross in the flesh. He died in the flesh. Let us share the bread together. The book of Hebrews tells us clearly, and it's a quote from the Old Testament, that the life is in the blood, and therefore the shedding of blood would be necessary for our lives to be reclaimed. But our blood was not free of sin. It had to be Christ. Only Christ could do it. And so again, before the foundation of the world, the plan was in effect. At just the right time, He died for us. Let us share in the cup together. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to gather together around the table to share the, the bread and the, and the cup and to understand all that You have done, the mercy and the grace that You've poured out is all a gift from You. It's nothing that we earn. But Lord, we desire to serve You and to love You more. And so we ask that You would continue the process of sanctifying us, causing us to become the saints You already see us as, even though we're not there yet. And ask, Lord, that You would cause us to show our love not only to one another, but to the community that You've placed us in. Ready to give a testimony of what You have done for us and how much You love us. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close, please?
firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you forever, you to Jesus hath fled. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my gracious omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters He calls thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for He will be with thee in trouble to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That sorrow all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. That sorrow all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Amen. Thank you. Lord bless. Have a wonderful rest of the day.